Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now. We're turning to Luke's Gospel this morning. And we're going to read the Lord's Prayer again together this morning. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. And you'll find it on page 869 of the Pew Bibles, page 869. This is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, his disciples of all ages, his disciples then and his disciples now. And uh, we're going to be looking specifically at the petitions in the Lord's Prayer this morning. So Luke chapter 11, it's page 869 of your Pew Bibles, and we're reading verses 1 to 13. And this is God's word to us. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give, give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be thinking about the Lord's Prayer together this morning, and you'll find it on page 869 of your Pew Bibles, page 869. As you're turning to that passage in Luke, let's pray for a moment together. Father, as we think about prayer again this morning, We come recognizing our weakness and our failures, but we thank you that you are the God who gives us grace, grace in times of need, need, grace when we need it most. And we pray this morning that you would help us to think through what it means to pray, what we're to say when we pray, and how we are to glorify the Lord Jesus as we pray to you. Father, help us in these moments, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we've already said, we're continuing to think about prayer. We began this short three-part series last Sunday morning, and that's because in our studies in Luke's Gospel, we have come to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We're slowing down over these weeks to think about prayer, how we pray, uh, why we should pray, and other matters as well. Uh, We finished last week by thinking about the privilege that it is for us to have the Lord's Prayer as it's recorded for us in the Bible. Uh, This is Jesus' manifesto on prayer, if you like. And it's so different to what we might expect because he gives us a perfect model for how we should pray. He doesn't just 
tell us to pray and leave us to it. He has sketched out what speaking to God will be like for those of us who follow him. A couple of weeks ago, during the evening service of our missionary weekend, I shared a story about Britain's loneliest sheep. You might remember the story. A sheep was stranded at the foot of a, a foot of a cliff in the Scottish Highlands for just over two years. I have some good news for you this morning. Some of you might have seen the story online already, but the sheep has been rescued. Uh, an animal welfare charity said that a rescue attempt would be incredibly complex, but a group of five farmers managed to haul her up the steep cliff. The, haul her up the steep cliff earlier this week. Uh, the sheep's fleece had been overgrown, but now it's been cut. Uh, she's also been given a new name. She's now called Fiona. And that's because a few years ago, there was a similar story of a sheep being stranded in New Zealand. It was a male sheep and it was rescued. And when it was rescued, it was given the name Shrek. So Shrek and Fiona. In addition to having her fleece cut, being given a new name, Fiona has also got a new home. Uh, she's been moved to an open farm near Dumfries. Uh, the farm actually has a Facebook page and has been posting live updates about Fiona and what she's doing and what she's been up to all week. It's a great story, but it's also one of the best illustrations I think I've ever come across in terms of us understanding the gospel. Fiona the sheep has been rescued. She has had her old, dirty, ragged coat shaved. She's been given a new name. She's been given a new family, and she's been given a new way of life. You maybe see where we're going with that. In spiritual terms, Fiona's story mirrors ours. Having been isolated in spiritual darkness on the mountainside, we have been rescued and brought near to God through our Lord Jesus. The filthiness of our sin has been dealt with and washed away, and we have received Christ's robes of righteousness. Because we have been rescued, we have been given a new name. We're now known as a child of God instead of being known as a child of darkness. Because we've been rescued, we've been welcomed into a new family, God's family, the church. And we've also been given a new way of life. And part of that new way of life is that we can have personal communication with our Father in heaven. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can now approach God as our Father and speak to him whenever and wherever we want. Prayer is one of the benefits of salvation. Prayer is one of the things that will mark us out from others in our world because although some people claim to pray, we can have confidence that the God of the universe hears us when we talk to him. Thankfully, as we've already said, having welcomed us into his family and having given us a new way of life, Jesus hasn't left us to our own devices. Through the Lord's prayer, he has given us a perfect model for how we should pray. We're going to think more about that model this morning, but before we go any further, let me just mention one little bit of background. The, the, the Lord's Prayer has been and remains the greatest prayer of the church. It's recorded in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel. There are slight differences in, in, the, two, in the two records of the Lord's Prayer. We're not really going to refer to Matthew's version this morning. We're going to stick to Luke. But what I want you to notice is the prayer structure. The first part of the prayer is vertical and has to do with God. So if you look at the first two petitions, Luke focuses on God's glory and God's power. The second part of the prayer is horizontal and has to do with us, our need, our rescue, and our weakness. So it's horizontal and it's also vertical. Well, what we're gonna do this morning is really simple. We're just gonna walk through each petition of the Lord's Prayer as it's recorded in Luke 
and try and understand what Jesus is teaching. Jesus teaches us to pray in this way. He teaches us to pray in a way that honors God's name, acknowledges God's rule, sees our need, recognizes our rescue, and understands our weakness. Those are the five petitions, and we're just going to walk through them very quickly this morning. So first of all, Jesus teaches us to pray in a way, first of all, that honors God's name. Just look at the first petition. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. It's very important to see how the prayer begins. The first word of Jesus' model prayer is Father. We're probably too familiar with the prayer to properly marvel at what it says. The God of the universe, the God who made the world out of nothing, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the ten plagues and the, and the Red Sea, the God of the glory cloud in the tabernacle, the God who shakes the cedars of Lebanon, the God who showed himself to Daniel as the great ancient of days, the God before whom no one can stand face to face and live. Je- Jesus wants us to call that God Father. To pray with intimacy to God as Father is not a human right, it's a spiritual privilege. It's a privilege for the people of God who have been born again by the Spirit of God. It's not our natural human birthright to call God Father, it's our born again spiritual birthright. Now there is a sense in which God is Father to all, but only to the extent that all people owe their existence to him. But that is never how Jesus speaks of God the Father, only disciples get to call God Father. Uh, And we should note that we can't substitute mother for father. The Bible does on occasions describe God with maternal characteristics, but he has revealed himself as a king, a husband, and a father. He never reveals himself as a queen, a wife, or a mother. He he also is a spirit and doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a a biological gender. He's not male or female. We, We have no right to pray to God in ways that we think might sound better are more culturally acceptable, or our world thinks are more appropriate. We're to pray to God in the way that he tells us to, and that's by calling him Father. Through the first petition, Jesus tells us to speak to God as our Father and also honor his name. There's a reason this petition is first, because it holds all the others together. It puts all the others in focus and gets everything in the right order. Think of it in this way. If your children come to you and say, we have several requests for you, but before we give you any of our requests, we want you to know that we love you, and whatever you do, we want you to be honored. Apart from almost fainting in surprise, you would know something about the nature of all their subsequent requests. To pray, Father, hallowed be your name, is to pray to the God of the universe in a personal and intimate way. God isn't your roommate or your butler or your girlfriend, so don't be chummy or demanding or romantic, but neither is he a dictator, a parole officer, or a harsh taskmaster. You don't need to to grovel, squirm, or be afraid. You can approach him as a child comforted by the fact that your father loves you and confident that he wants to hear from you. And by praying this first, we can make him our chief desire. We put him in his proper place. So Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that honors God's name and also in a way that that acknowledges God's rule. Just look at the second petition. When you pray, say, your kingdom come. I I always like a Remembrance Day illustration on Remembrance Sunday. 
And most of you will know or should know who Winston Churchill is. He was the, the prime minister who led our country through the horrors of the Second World War. And one of Churchill's biographers wrote the following about him. Churchill took the firm and irrevocable decision to dedicate his life to, to the defense of the British Empire against all its enemies at home and abroad. Time and again throughout his political career, he would put his allegiance to his ideal of the empire before his own best interests. In simple terms, what that's saying is that Churchill lived to build and protect the British Empire. If he, along with so many other men and women of his age, could make that sort of commitment, how much more should we, as Christians, be committed to a vastly more gracious, more significant, and more eternal kingdom? What if it, it, was, what if it was said of you long after you were dead and gone that you took the firm and irrevocable decision to dedicate your life to the kingdom of God, that time and again you put your allegiance to God and his will above your own best interests. That's what Jesus tells us to pray through this second petition, that his kingdom would come first in our lives and in the lives of others. His point is that those who are in God's kingdom will strive to do God's will. Now, what does that look like? Well, first of all, although my will wants to go its own way, being in the kingdom means my will is redirected to God's will. And this is what repentance means. Jesus was continu continually saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To pray your kingdom come is to repent and, and live a, a life characterized by obedience. Secondly, this petition demands commitment. Jesus was very emphatic when he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The kingdom is for those who have decided to follow him and who don't keep longingly looking back. To pray your kingdom come is to commit ourselves to following him. And thirdly, the kingdom is therefore to be pursued above all else. As Jesus also said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This destroys the idea of an, of an easygoing, armchair, fire insurance kind of Christianity. You can't pray the Lord's Prayer with your arms folded. To pray your kingdom come is to pursue the kingdom. So Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that honours God's name, in a way that acknowledges God's rule, and thirdly, in a way that sees our need. Look at the third petition in Luke 11, verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. Uh, Jesus switches to the present tense in this verse and says that we're to ask God for the things that we require on a regular basis because we're in need of God's daily provision. Uh, the phrase, give us each day our daily bread, makes us think of the story of Israel in the wilderness where the Lord miraculously provided manna each morning. God has proven that he can and will care for his people's practical needs. And so Jesus encourages us to ask him for God's provision. We shouldn't think that concerns for food and other essentials are beneath us as Christians. Praying in this way about material things will especially give us great contentment. There's a story told about a wealthy and generous Christian businessman who lost a fortune through a financial scandal. Reflecting on where he had worked and all that he had lost through no fault of his own, the man said this. He said, I have repeatedly acknowledged to God that my wealth comes from him. I've asked that if I've asked that if I've asked if if at any point he thought it would be spiritually better for me not to have it, he would please take it away. 
I trust that this is what he has done and I am content with that. Asking for daily bread reminds us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, we normally stop there because we understand this petition. We understand that this petition is only asking God for material bread, material things. But there's also a sense in which it's us asking for spiritual bread, spiritual food. It's a repeated refrain in Scripture that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Praying for daily bread means asking God for things, for, for all things necessary for life and godliness. Jesus wants us to see that we can't live without bread and we can't live without the Bible for very long either. The third petition is essentially this. Don't just give us this earthly bread, but give us the bread that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is emphatic in his ministry that there is better bread out there, that we should seek the heavenly bread that can feed us not just for a day, but for all eternity. More importantly, Jesus makes clear that he is the bread of life. He is the bread come down from heaven and whoever feasts on him will live forever. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and and come to this petition day after day, our hearts should be singing that incredibly simple song, Give Me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Dark midnight was my cry, give me Jesus. I heard the mourner say, Give me Jesus. Oh, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You may have all this world, but give me Jesus. Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that sees our need, our material need, but also our spiritual need. Through the fourth petition, he teaches us to pray in a way that recognizes our rescue. That's our fourth point. Recognizes our rescue. Look at verse 4 of Luke 11. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. The fourth request is that God would forgive us our sins. Jesus' followers are acutely aware of their failures and shortcomings. And Jesus knows this and knows that we must appeal to God for forgiveness. This is maybe a more, this is maybe a more subtle need, but we require this daily mercy from God every, every bit as much as we need him to give us our daily bread. If we hope to experience God's forgiveness, we should be willing to extend forgiveness to everyone who's indebted to us as well. Jesus isn't suggesting that God should be expected to forgive us only to the extent that we have forgiven other people who have sinned against us. None of us are so forgiving that we can merit God's patience and grace. No, Jesus is making the argument from the lesser to the greater. Since even sinful people like you and me forgive others, we can confidently ask a merciful God for forgiveness. But equally, if we don't forgive others, we show that we haven't really received forgiveness from God. If we've experienced that greater forgiveness, we will display the lesser forgiveness to those who have wronged us, however costly that might be. Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that honors God's name, acknowledges God's rule, sees our need, recognizes our rescue, and fifthly and finally, in a way that understands our weakness. Just look at the last petition. And lead us not into temptation. The final request in Jesus' prayer is for spiritual protection. Uh, the wording might make it seem that we're supposed to ask God to, to kindly refrain from trying to trip us up with temptations to sin, but we know in fact that God never tempts anyone. 
Instead, Jesus is encouraging us to understand our weakness. We need God's help in times of temptation. We know that we need daily bread. We may even know that we need forgiveness. But do we know how much we need this prayer every day? If we're to pray for daily provision and daily pardon, then we should also pray for daily protection. How many times do you go into a day thinking that there's no battle? How many times do you go into a day blissfully ignorant, sometimes willfully ignorant of the danger you'll face? This petition brings to mind the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph didn't know when he got up that morning the temptation he would face. He had faced it before, but never so brazenly. He didn't know that he would be seduced in secret by a beautiful and powerful woman. But he was. And when he was, he was ready. He didn't ponder the temptation. He didn't nurture it. He didn't reason with it. He didn't play with it. He made a much better decision. He ran away from it. Are you getting spiritually prepared in prayer each morning for the possibility of a Potiphar's wife in whatever form it might take in your life? Will you be ready when a temptation of that scale comes? Are you praying for protection? Are you praying in a way that honors God's name, acknowledges God's rule, sees your need, recognizes your rescue, and understands your weakness. It's a great prayer, isn't it? The problem is that we're too familiar with it. It it just washes over us, and we can blandly recite the words. But here's the thing. It's as though in giving us this prayer, Jesus knew that it would be one of our struggles. We talked a bit about this last week. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're probably not very proud of your prayer life. One of the biggest discouragements when it comes to prayer is that we think, I'm awful at this, but I want to be better, but I don't know where to start. Well, here's a pretty good place to start. Luke 11, petition by petition. Just work through it every day. Start praying. Your heavenly father's waiting. Honor his name. Acknowledge his rule. See your need. Recognize your rescue and understand your weakness. And pray in the structure and in that way the next day and the next day and the next day. The thing that trips us up when it comes to the Lord's Prayer is that we think it's just a case of reciting the words. You say the words and that's it done. You've just prayed the Lord's Prayer and you're therefore a super holy Christian. It's not quite like that. It's a little bit like the Ten Commandments. On a basic reading of the Ten Commandments, you think you're actually doing pretty well. You're a pretty awesome person. But as you dig deeper, you realize how they expose you and how deeply they apply. It's the same with the Lord's Prayer. We can blandly pray, your kingdom come, but live in a way that objectively does not believe that. We can go through the motions and recite, lead us not into temptation, and walk out the door into the world unprepared for the battle before us, and before we know it, we've fallen at the first hurdle. Jesus has given us this prayer to help us, and when we unpack all that he means, what we find is that it's a prayer that covers every aspect of our lives. It covers our relationship with God and it covers our relationship with others. And it also covers our hearts. It points us to the truth that without knowing Christ, we can never truly pray. Having been isolated in spiritual darkness on the mountainside, we have been rescued and brought near to God through the Lord Jesus 
the filthiness of our sin has been dealt with and washed away and we have received Christ's robes of righteousness because we have been rescued, we have been given a new name, we're now known as a child of God instead of being known as a child of darkness. Because we've been rescued, rescued, we've been welcomed into a new family, God's family, the church, and we've also been given a new way of life. And part of that new way of life is that we can have personal communication with our Father in heaven. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can now approach God as our Father and speak to him whenever and wherever we want. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, having looked at Jesus' model for prayer, this morning you should commit yourself to praying in this way today, this week, and for the rest of your days. If you struggle with prayer, here's where you start. It's so basic, so simple, but so, so helpful. And what if you're not a Christian? Well, we touched on this last week. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can't pray and you can't communicate with God personally. It really is as black and white as that, as simple as that, as straightforward as that. If you're in that position, if you're in that situation, before committing yourself to praying in the way that Jesus tells you to, you need to commit yourself to him. You need to trust him, believe in him, be rescued by him, and be forgiven by him. And then and only then will you know what it means to have the God of the universe as your savior and friend. So if you haven't trusted in Jesus, will you commit to trusting in him and following him today? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this simple prayer that Jesus has given us to help us speak to you, our Father. Help us to honor your name. Help us to acknowledge your rule. Help us to see our need. Help us to recognize your rescue and to understand our weakness as well. Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus and for all that he has done for us. We're so thankful that he is a savior who has provided us with salvation, but that he's a savior, that you're a God who has provided all that we need for life and godliness in this world. Help us as we commit ourselves to prayer. Help us as we go into another week to commit ourselves to, to using this prayer as a, as a model for our prayers. And we pray that you'd be with us as a church family as well. Help us to pray as a church family in a way that glorifies and honors the name of the Lord Jesus. And we also pray for those who haven't yet trusted in Christ. Help them to see again what they're missing out on, a personal relationship, personal communication with the God of the universe. Father, we thank you for your word. Bless it to all of our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.